ho, ho, ho. My name is Robert Higgins. And I'm Kay Tuxford. And this is episode 113 of Screenwriting from the Trenches, Ho, 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 a podcast about the craft and expression of screenwriting and all of its Ho, Ho, Ho forms from the perspective of writers just like you. Ho, Ho, Ho. That's a lot of hoes. It wouldn't. <laughs> this show is all about the hoes. <laughs> Okay, so uh, this week, this week, this week, we are continuing a deep dive into our favorite holiday movies, and I think you got you and I agreed on this one unanimously. Help. Yeah, yeah, because I thought we should do a Santa movie because you know the other movies that we've done, the, you know, they've all been holiday, you know, movies and stuff like that without really getting into the spirit of Christmas. And so I was like, you know what, we really should do what like a Santa movie, and and since. I can't really condone anything done by Tim Allen these days. <laughs> so I decided, to, you know, maybe it's best to do Elf, which was turned out to be fortuitous because this is Elf's 20th anniversary. It was originally released in 2003. It's, happy, it's actually happy 20th anniversary, Elf. Yeah, it's actually out in theaters right now. So oh, if cool. you guys, uh, after listening to us talk about it, want to go see it in theaters and relive some of that, some of the original sort of nostalgia or, or surrounding the movie, you can find it in theaters all over the United States. So sorry for our overseas listeners. And we do have them, but, you know, it's out there. It's, you know, we're going to talk about it anyway. It's it's streaming too. Well, everyone can participate. Right, right, right. So, but first we're going to get into the hullabaloo. We're going to keep using that word of screenwriting Twitter. Oh, we should also go back to our, our listener. We had a listener said we needed to say what screenwriting Twitter is a Twitter about. Right. Yes. The hullabaloo of what screenwriting Twitter is a Twitter about. Yes. Take it away, Zach. Dear God. It's just another day in screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama. It's just another day in screenwriting drama. It's another day in screenwriting drama. All right. So here we are. And Kate Tuxford, we are now officially on the other side of the strikes. They are over. The yes. Side- they ratified the agreement. I think yep. it was in the mid seventies that said yes. Yeah, seventy percent, seventy eight percent. I think. Oh wait, 30, okay. It was like seventy eight percent. I think of thirty eight percent of SAG. <laughs> so thirty eight percent of the members of SAG participated in the vote in the ratification, yes. and seventy eight percent of them voted yes. Yes. So <laughs> take of that number where you will. I'm not a math person, but there there was still a lot of controversy. People, they, the SAG had been doing a lot of meetings and public hearings to sort of answer the questions and concerns. And it seems like everybody, like unlike the rest of, of the thing, besides maybe the DGA, but unlike the Writers Guild, at least it, this one where where the writers guild was met with like almost universal acclaim where everybody was like hey we won you know what I yeah mean? this one was like well, this one feels like we didn't really win there was a lot of controversy surrounding the 
the AI protections and how they basically allowed for country for companies, sorry, to have these giant loopholes in terms of performance capture and motion capture and doubling and all these other different things. And it's really funny because there's a, there's also a similar debate going through right now about the folks in prison reform are trying to finally abolish the last loophole of mm. slavery because this is because <laughs> this is literally how it works everybody's like yay we abolished no we didn't we never abolished slavery we just moved it to the left because that's literally been the trick this is like this really nasty legal trick you'd be like it's not cool except in this specific instance yeah if you're a prisoner all bets are off right exactly and so we've had legalized slavery where we have you know uh, prisoners that work for companies for free or less or for wages that are less than a dollar an hour and there's been this movement for decades that's been gained in steam and even so they they've had places that have been that have had uh, these new restrictions in place for like five years and they still haven't done anything with it and that's mm -hmm. what people were talking about because these things never get properly settled ever they just use the loopholes and just go right through them that's what these large corporations do they have never ever abided by the things when they don't have to and the fact of the matter is that people were people are getting that because you yeah. can't not the information is out there and it gets brought up on places like this where people <laughs> just with a basic <laughs> grasp of history history can say hey just for your information, this never works ever. They just well, take the fine. Yeah, I mean, they do take the fine. They are going to review the contract again in three years, which but, I, th yeah. I think it would be helpful to see what is done in that time. Because I think you're right. I think there will be loopholes. There'll be, oh, we're going to categorize this as this type of media, which isn't under this type of contract. And then if it becomes something else, oh, we already scanned you, et cetera, et cetera. So like, right. it, or, okay, well, we scanned all the background actors that are non-WGA and the WGA person is the only person, you know, um, wandering around a room with nobody else in it. You know, you could wind up in those situations. Right. I think a lot of people for this, because this, this is the thing, a lot of people are seeing that the industry, because of things like AI and a lot of rising technologies, not to mention the democratization of technology in terms of cameras and things like that. Yeah. We just had this big thing over the fact that the creator was an $80 million movie shot on a $3,000 camera. And, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, there's like a, there's like a bunch of stuff going on right now and no one knows where the industry is going. I, I've made some very credible guesses and they've all turned out to be correct so far. And I can, I will assume that I'm going to continue to be correct, but that's neither here nor there. But the thing, the fact of the matter is, is there's in terms of protections, the Directors Guild and the Writers Guild both got major protections that say in order for this to be considered union ready, that it has to be written by a writer and that person, it has to be defined as being a human writer. 
Yeah. There has to be a human director and there has to be a human writer. Those were terms that were defined in yeah. these contracts. And that's what actors really wanted. They didn't get it. They didn't. And it's unfortunate because the kind of things that are coming out, the way that things are going, you look at stuff like Unreal Engine and you're just like, come on, man. But, you know, in three years, you know, this is the thing that keeps happening where the kicking it, the kicking the can down the road never works. Sometimes you just yeah. have to literally like halt shit and be like, no, we're not going to do this until you give us what we want. That's the only way to work with these corporations, because it's the only weapon that we have against them. Yeah. And I think I think the other thing is that once you say, oh, OK, we're going to try it in this contract for three years, then it becomes a staple where it's like, well, we don't want to go back on anything in the mm-hmm. contract. You know, this was fine. We'll talk about new things, you know, so it becomes kind of like a paved stone along the way. It's hard right. to dislodge it if it's not working. It becomes entrenched. It's like one of entrenched, these Entrenched, yeah. yeah. It's like, and like you said, they're just, it's like, we've been doing this for the whole time. Now you want like new, like, no, 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 yeah. no. So, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I think it might benefit SAG to see exactly how it's exploited. We thought of ways It'll be interesting to see which ways are pursued. And then they're going to have to probably in three years go back and raise fucking hell. Because you're right, there are loopholes and these could be very dangerous for SAG. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Right. I see big problems coming too for IATSE, not to really get off on a tangent, but especially in terms of editors, because we've all seen these AI trailers, these compiled trailers that folks are putting out on the daily and some of these jobs, man, it's just, you know, the protections that people are going to want, folks are already going to, I can already see, especially just for the editors, I can already yeah. see studios just being like, mm, just wanting to like roll, steamroll these folks. It, it's going to be a rough few years. I really, really feel like that. And like I said, this was, I felt like this was the time and they dropped the ball a little. I i, I, I don't want to speak totally out of school because I'm not in SAG, nor am I a negotiator, but I really feel like in my heart of hearts, with the stuff that's coming and the way the industry is going, the ball got dropped a little bit here, but we're going to. We're going to have to wait and see. Yeah, so let's move on to happier topics. There were a lot of lists unveiled this week, Kate Tuxford. Just a, so a many shit lists. ton of lists. There was, there was I the love a good list. list. There was the stunt list. That, came, that, was, that sort of sucked up all the air in the room for most of the week. Yeah, and, this, the stunt list and then the originals bureau was part of it or an mm-hmm. offshoot. Blacklist is unveiled. The Georgia list just, I think, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And then Coverfly came out with the next list. Uh, Just right before we started yeah. like, uh, recording this, like yeah. literally an hour ago. And then we we have on standby probably something in the next couple of days. We'll get the annual blacklist as well. Yeah, I think that's coming out on Monday. So. Yes, I got a I got a standby email saying it's something's coming shortly. So yeah, it's it's list season. Mm-hmm. First of all, congratulations to people who make recognition on a list. I think it's always good to have some know somebody read your work 
and they like you, they want you to succeed and they're championing you. So like, congratulations to everybody. We saw quite a few people on Twitter make some lists. Especially I, the I, stunt list. That that was a sort of a who's who of screenwriting Twitter. There was so many people on the stunt list. I saw Tom Schrack. I saw, I, I think, let me see. Now I got to go look at the stunt list. I know Rachel Essel is on the cover fly list. Sean Collins yeah. Smith made the made the cover flies next list yes 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 he made the next list there's there's a lot of folk on there so if we didn't shout you out it's just because there's so many lists and i didn't want to put you on the wrong list (laughs) i'm sorry Mm -hmm. yeah but i think it's really great all these projects are getting recognized i think it's awesome that there's more lists coming out that have you know different emphasis so i i love it and yeah yeah congratulations i hope everybody gets more reads is this gonna be a new thing because i because you know we have like we have like contest season and we have rejection season season, and now it's like list season you know we have all these seasons and then january it goes into film festival season right film festival season and then award season right 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 and then it's and then it's all, all the air gets sucked up in the room by the nickels there's yes. nickel season, which is its own just season, like right up until March. And then it's like, then after that, it's everybody else. There's a lot of contest season. And then it goes into AFF. It's another one that just sucks up all the air in the room. And then <laughs> it's just. I think this is the natural place for a list to be because it's end of the year. Yeah. Additionally, Santa has a list. We've been used to being put on a list at this time of year. It just <laughs> feels right. Hey, Tuxford, don't preempt the 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 movie talk. We're, we're still in, in the thing. You're talking about Santa's list. You're getting ahead of us. I mean, again, Elf didn't doing invent this. Santa's list. Okay. Nah. So we actually got some actual drama this week as well. Yeah. Which, you know, school screenwriting drama. It's so, like, it happened, and I was like, aw, I missed this. <laughs> aw. Look um, at us. Look at us. Look at us. Yeah. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Here we are again. <laughs> uh, Tom Vaughn uh, stirred up the old style school, old school screenwriting drama because he showed two pages and one had more space and read vertically and one had chunkier paragraphs and read horizontally. And he said the vertical one was better for readability. What he was basically saying is more white space on the page, separate your action lines, don't put as much extra wordage in there, and don't have big chunky paragraphs that are going to slow down the read. That's what he was kind of emphasizing. And not everybody felt that way. No, because I think, and our friend to the podcast, Scott Ledger, who correctly pointed out the first page of a screenplay that we're always personally recommending, Michael Clayton. Mm-hmm. And there's always, it comes down to this thing. And, and this point was made several times by people, you know, because everybody's like, well, when you're Tony Gilroy, you can do all of the things. But let's, I've listened to Tony Gilroy. There was a really great podcast with Tony Gilroy on the Mark Marin podcast very recently. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes if I can. But in that one, he starts talking about that screenplay 
and how how long it took for that thing to come to fruition. fruition. And this is Michael Clayton, just Michael so everybody Clayton. knows what we're talking about. First page right. of Michael Clayton, yeah. And there was a lot of uh, drafts and rigmarole that went into making that thing what it is before it became the standard to which we all aspire. And, but it was like, it, it was a lot like Matt, Matthew Weiner's Mad Men, where it was mm -hmm. in his back pocket for years as he went around to like other jobs and people were like, Hey, you got what, what, do you, what do you got? And he's like, I got, I got this. Michael Clayton. And they all went, nah, yeah, something else. Yeah. Yeah. So there, you know, but at the same time, like this script was, is, is, it's great. The movie and the script both are just absolutely amazing. I need to rewatch that movie now. So, but that script is great. And the, the, everything about it is good, but it does not follow that horizontal format or that vertical format. It just, it's, it's chunky at times. And sometimes it's, it, it has weird things where sometimes it's terse and then sometimes he's just going on. And especially in terms of the dialogue, it opens up with this giant monologue yeah. being read by Arthur and just goes on and on for pages and pages and pages. And then it goes into like this whole thing. But here's the thing. When you read that script and somebody say that there are a bunch of unfilmables on it, I don't think that's true. Because when you go back and mm. read that script, I've actually read that script while you watch the movie. And it's literally almost page for page, like word for word, page for page. Like you're going through it. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Like this guy was just watching the movie. And that's what it feels like on the page. Like you are yeah. literally watching this movie. And uh, it's, so, been a, it's been a while since I read it, but I don't remember there being a lot of fluff or filler. No, there's not a lot of filler, but there's, you know, times where he goes into <laughs> goes into like the description of certain things uh, yeah. the, and like, you know, but it just it reads like you're watching the movie on the page, which is yeah. what I literally aspire to with every screenplay. I think that's what we should all aspire to as screenwriters, but that's neither here nor there. But anyway, you're just you can literally watch that and the movie at the same time. And it feels like you're, you're it's like a mirror image. But yeah. weird in, in that one is extremely visual and the other one is text that is also extremely visual. And but it doesn't necessarily follow the rules. It just, you know, and people always talk about, well, if you're Tony Gilmore, you can do it. You know, you can't do what the masters do. And the argument is, if, how do you get to be a master without making master moves? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think. I mean, first of all, Michael Clayton came out in the, what, mid-2000s, mm -hmm. so we've had some time, but there's there's a couple choices he made that I think are really master moves, which is Arthur and his dialogue and his movement, the dialogue creates a lot of movement and rhythm in it as well, mm -hmm. and I think also in the last 20 years, the style has moved even leaner. And you'll see other Gilroy's, like his action movies, like Born Identity, that look more like the vertical reading scripts, especially when he goes through an action piece. Mm -hmm. So it's not like his choice is how he always writes. And so I think it was a good decision for this type of material, which is a little bit more hard-boiled and introspective and more about the people involved. Right. And, and, and I think it makes you sit with them a little bit longer. And I think that was a choice. But for the most part, I do agree with Tom that a lot of scripts lack that readability. Mm -hmm. 
100%. There is a, a, a definite, because I think regardless of what you believe, if you're, you know, even if you're trying to make sort of what we're going to call master moves, if, if regardless of what you believe, I always try to write as, and I've, I, I think I'm helped by the fact that I've made four feature films, but like, I always try to write in terms of cuts where I think there would be a camera cut, like yeah. where I'm editing the movie in my head on the page and sort of yeah. imagining the movie it is it is. And sometimes that's, you know, especially with the average cut, like was like, what, two to five seconds. So sometimes you're going to be a lot of action lines, you know? Yeah. And I think it's good also for like actors to separate main actions. So it's like, you know, Joe runs, you know, across the street, next paragraph, Joe, you know, looks at the, his watch you know you want to separate those actions so that it's not done all at the same time especially if you see it like he's not going to check his watch until he crosses the street you need to organize it if you go joe runs and checks his watch and finally makes it across the street that's different you know and you could have a longer paragraph for it so i think but then again there's always that scene like you know mission impossible where tom cruise like you know, goes up, asks the guy for a for a match. The guy lights the match. A car drives up. They put a bag over Tom's head. They shove him in the car. It's all in one shot. It's all yeah. in one shot, exactly. <laughs> and you could you could put your paragraph like that and make us feel right. like, oh my gosh, so much is happening. I think the big problem is you can look at like a a beautiful script like a Michael Clayton or I know the first page of Sound of Metal got passed around as Ooh, well, yeah. which was a big block of pair. Big block, big block of t- text, yeah. But if you read the text, the prose is gorgeous, mm-hmm. and and I think that's often what's getting missed here is a lot of times when I, as a reader, get sent a script with a big block of text, the big block of text isn't gorgeous to read, and if you're gonna make me read that, it better be freaking good, mm-hmm. and and oftentimes instead I get what I would say is a block of text that really needs an edit. A man sits down in a chair and folds his hand and thinks, you know, looks pensive. He puts his glasses on and crosses his legs, like all that stuff instead of like a man sits down pensively, you know, it's, it's, it feels like it's, it's just bloated and needs an edit. But if you read a gorgeous paragraph that makes you kind of feel the tone and the mood and it's lyrical, suddenly you're like, yeah, I can read this all day. Yeah, Shane Black has to go back to our previous episode where we talked about Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. There's a line where Robert Downey Jr.'s character is trying to evade the cops. And Shane Black goes into this paragraph, this like four line paragraph where he starts talking about how Robert Downey Jr. is evading the cops and he's running around. He's like, ooh, his sort of manner is, ooh, man, this is crazy. This whole criminal, hope they catch him like (laughs) running Look at me, I'm so fucking nonchalant. Like it's hilarious when you're reading it and you get the tone of what how Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Harry, is supposed to be acting, like as he's uh, trying to evade these police. And it just goes into this nonsense, like speaking to the audience kind of thing. But at the same time, it works. It's gorgeous work. It makes you laugh and you're just engaged. Yes. so if you can do that, and I sort of set my my action lines up like that too. I want people to be laughing all the way through because people who are feeling something are going to keep reading and people who mm-hmm. don't, they won't. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the big deal is that if, if we're going to commit to it and you don't necessarily have to be, you know, 
oh, who writes beautiful long paragraphs? I can't even remember now. The guy who wrote Cavalier and Clay has beautiful long paragraphs. Like Michael Shaban. Shaban, yeah. Sometimes it's like one sentence, but it's the most gorgeous sentence you've ever read in your life. And I'm like, I'm okay with this. So, I mean, you can definitely do that, but I'm, I would expect there to be a real lyrical and literary quality to it. Right. If not, I want to see Joe runs and move on because I need the pacing for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think Tom's heart is in the right place. Cause I think he's speaking really to a lot of new writers who don't have their prose down yet and their rhythm and they're probably going to get more reads if it looks more vertical with white space right and also it also gets you in terms of we talked on this podcast a bunch about page design and getting people to do that and the way to do that is to learn to get into those action lines and be spare and you know almost Hemingway-ish if with your action lines and prose and and when you get into your like like Kate Tuxford just said when you finally figure out like how you like to tell a story and how you want to tell this particular story because your style may change with the screenplay depending on the genre and subject and all that other stuff but when you finally get into how you want to tell this story and figure that out then you can start making those master moves and you know being about those large chunks if you if you feel that they are deserved but until that point i can't not i can't disagree with tom and that you should learn to pace your thing sort of like we said by action like by cuts and getting those small little action lines on the page because that's what not only just because that's what people expect but you know, don't give anyone a reason to put your screenplay down if you're a new writer. Exactly, exactly. And you can still have more of a minimalist flow and still, you know, space it out and make it look a little poetic. Like I, I grew up, not grew up, but I went to school and I had some training in poetry and poetry is all, I mean, say what you will about poetry. I know for some people, they don't have the patience for it or whatnot, but it's a lot about how you space things on lines and how you want it to be seen, read, and heard. And there are some authors that are just fantastic at mastering that. Ray Bradbury comes to mind. Like if you read the Martian Chronicles, it's like reading a long, beautiful, lyrical poem. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's spaced out for you to have that space and breathe between letters and uh, more sentences and things like that so it is a way to exercise control and it's really useful for screenwriting but there is no one absolute rule which is what got the screenwriting folk into a tizzy so tom i know you meant well but everyone's always going to find at least one reason why that's not the absolute right well kate do you want to get into our deep dive into elf so yeah, this this movie, I actually, because I think the last two movies that we broke down, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and The Holiday, in terms of those two movies, like even going back and looking back at them, both of them were done in the early 2000s, but I both Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and The Holiday feel bulletproof in yeah. terms of where how they were constructed and the scripts. They are both movies to aspire to. This movie is also a movie to aspire to in terms of popularity and certainly how people feel about it. But 
when I was watching this movie, this movie has some problems. Well, I will agree. I mean, you will never find a perfect movie out there, but I Disagree. think I think, you know, I believe in the Idina Menzel mentality. If you go there and you manage to get eight out of ten of the notes, you're probably gonna have a hit. And yeah, they missed some of the notes, but they definitely had a hit. So that's great. We'll definitely talk about that. But I think one of the things that is maybe one of the biggest things about Elf is it's pretty much the biggest Christmas movie since, you know, I was trying to think of like, what's more iconic of a Christmas movie than Elf in the last 20 years? I don't know. But right now it's like number two on number on uh, movies being watched on Max. So it's, it's pretty, it's pretty legit. There's, there's not a lot of movies that have the sort of universal love mm-hmm. for for it in terms of and especially in terms of holiday premises involving Santa that don't just feel kind of dated because the the Santa Claus as much as I love it feels very dated and again yes. Tim Allen himself has not aged well he but, is also quite dated yes right exactly so you know but it, but Elf has this wonderful thing that's going for it and it just you know people still quote it i hear people who quote it all the time like, oh yeah even like out my of... favorite no work's your favorite make work your new favorite <laughs> yeah exactly or or like i found myself out of season saying you sit on a throne of lies lies yes yes i think it's, it's really so that's one thing it has going for it it's really quotable yeah and everybody's seen it so it definitely has like hit the lexicon you know like these classic movies have where you can i can make a reference and you can totally get it and i think what's also really beneficial of elf and part of the reason why it's so well loved is it's something uh, that is family friendly but it's not specifically for kids Yes, 100%. They toss in the character of Michael. Yes. But it's not, the movie's not about Michael. And Will Ferrell is very childlike. And I think that's the biggest appeal. And we're going to talk about that because that leads to something at the end of the movie that really bothers me. But like (laughs) the childlike quality and Will Ferrell never breaks character. He does not break. And even in the face of you watch, there's that there's that wholly unforgettable scene where John Favreau shows up in a cameo in his own movie, and director John Favreau, and they try he's trying to prick Will Ferrell's finger to get a blood test, and mm-hmm. it's him and Ferrell and James Caan who plays Walter Hobbs, his dad, and just the two of them reacting to Will Ferrell reacting. As if, as like a child who's about to give his, his first prick from the doctor. And it is like, if you've ever had a kid at the doctor's office, it feels like that. You're yes. like, you're watching and you're just like, oh my God, this is so real. But he's like, thir- like his late thirties, if not his early forties. And he is not breaking. And like Favreau, you can see Favreau trying not to break in the scene. Yeah, and I felt like this gave me a glimpse <laughs> of what it might have been like for Favreau on set wrangling 
feral, you know, that sense of like, just distract him, put him over there. <laughs> you know? let's, Such a let's child, distract man. Him while I stab him because I need to. I'm I'm a consummate professional. Good Lord, man. <laughs> I could not imagine that said. I just, I, you know, I'm sure everybody was having a good time, but I'm, I bet Favreau was frustrated some days. It's just like, you hear, there's stories about Joss Whedon and how he was just like, like the Avengers that they just they laughed all the time because you had so many like big stars like big huge yeah. funny stars like just Hemsworth and RDJ on the same you know what I mean then you add Ruffalo in just oh my for gosh. fun just egging them both on right yeah, exactly. you can't have it and you just too much it's too and, much yeah and then you're like God God hey we're making a movie here hey 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 hey, hey. <laughs> guys yeah children uh, <laughs> basically uh, actors especially on set or everyone on set can really you know you hit such a whenever you go in a creative space there is like a childlike quality to it i think mm-hmm. and a lot of us in our process and especially actors you watch them especially when they've got to go there and be in character for so long all day long they use they make good use of that space but sometimes it is wrangling children as a right. director there's you but, know what's really you know what's really funny this, the thing about this movie is it feels like there are certain movies of this like that are very scripted, like the opening part where Bob Newhart is narrating the whole oh, yeah. thing and they have this intro. It's re- it's great world building, you know, where they're building up the world of elves in this really funny way. Like, you know, they have, oh, you can be a Keebler elf or you, <laughs> you know, you can make or you shoes. can cobble yeah. shoes. Right. And then it's like, you know, then it's Santa's elves. That's like the, they call it going to the show. And they have this really great world building. Then they add in the, you know, the how Will Ferrell's character gets to the North Pole. And they have all those sort of opening scenes. And then it just feels like unscripted nonsense for like a good 30, 40 minutes where you're just like, is this, is there even a script at this point for any of this? Just, at least there's probably an outline yeah an outline it feels like they just <laughs> went outline and just tossed whatever script that they had out it just insanity of, yeah i would say know? especially by the time will Farrow gets to new york i think they just said mm-hmm. like let's 100%. throw him on the set and see what happens and obviously i'm sure there was more organization by that because it seems so effortless it probably took some effort but yeah it does have that sense of like this especially when it gets to new york and you have that guy who's now 30 who's been raised by elves like going to the human world and we just catch all of these little things that they you know paid attention to and I think it's these details that make it so charming like him running into a coffee shop and saying congratulations on having the best cup of coffee you did it you know (laughs) Like that's I I send I send that you did it meme to everybody on Twitter. And then later on there's a runner where they come back and he takes Zoe Deschanel there for a date and she does not like the coffee. <laughs> oh yeah, they all that stuff that he does that seems like random and stuff like that. All that stuff comes back. Yeah. In the date in the date with Zoe Deschanel later on. So there's a it's like this seems really like weird. Like it's like this is really weird and random and then it's like nope, this were these were all setups. Yes. Yeah. Which is nice because you, like you said, there's this breathlessness by it, by where you're like, did anyone write a script? Like, do they know he's just running through that revolving door? Like a crazy <laughs> man, like, like how long is this going to, you know, last? And then it turns out it's a revolving door to his dad's, you know? Right. Right. Uh, right. Right. Yeah. And so, so I think it's, 
it's definitely fun that they took these moments and they kind of let them go like hog wild, which also kind of brings me to the casting and use of Will Ferrell, because I I kept thinking, you know, if if let's say he was busy, they never casted him. Who mm-hmm. would have been the next funny guy star coming out at that time? And I'm I can't think of it. You know, I can't think of who could have done it in his set. Well, I mean, did you think about this? No, I, I did think about it. And the movie doesn't work without Will Ferrell. It does not yeah. work unless he's in the movie. This is his, this is the vehicle that, that spawned Talladega Nights. Yeah. And all of the movies that came after that, like all of the Adam McKay movies that they did together, those things don't, again, they're vehicles, Anchorman. All of those things don't work without Will Ferrell. You know yeah. what I mean? If you put somebody like, else in that lead role, yeah, it I was like, just imagine doesn't Steve work. Carell. I was like, oh, I don't know, because he's got that sadness about him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's part of his shtick. Or, you know, Napoleon Dynamite. Was it uh, Jonathan Heater comes, mm-hmm. you know, in in Blades of Glory. And, like, I'm like, he does great. But, like, he still has, like, he, he has to be older because it makes it funnier. You know, all of that stuff. And there's a, there's a Disney movie that came out, I want to say, like, two years ago. That it's really funny, but it 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 runs so it runs because Elf was ahead of it, which is Anna Kendrick plays someone from the North Pole going back to Arizona. Oh right, uh, to, it's, to fetch her brother Bill Hader, who went MIA. He's the and next something Santa Claus. Noel. Uh, Noel, yes, yeah, and it still is someone from the North Pole among humans. You know that it's got that vibe with it, but again, it's not as funny watching someone younger like. Anna Kendrick, who's a very funny actress in her and own she's right. she's just sweet, you know what I mean? Yeah, she's... yeah. You, if you saw her running around eating bubblegum off of a railing, we'd go, oh, oh my God, poor child, like poor Anna yeah. Kendrick, somebody stop her. But in New York with Will Ferrell, we're like, why don't you have another piece? Go for right. it. Right, you know, it, it's pieces. weird, because no, because yeah. it like it takes you back to, I think it takes us all back to our childhood where yeah. we were dumb and just, you know, like, you know, and unsupervised. That's the other thing. There's a lot of latchkey kid kind of like lack of supervision, especially like not just with Will Ferrell, but with Michael. They're just yeah. letting that kid wander around New York City just by himself. You know what I mean? Mary Having a Steve great Virgin time. Yeah. Just comes in and out like she's not worried. Where are her kids? She's not worried. Doesn't, you know, what? Mm-mm. Nothing. Michael is a great thing about her death. character. Because she's like, oh, you have another son to James Cam. This is exciting. And then the next day, she lets Will Ferrell, who she's met for like 24 hours, go hang out with her son in New York. Right. You know what I mean? Like she comes, she has to see her son later on on the news. And she's like, oh, there's my son on fucking TV. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just no idea. It's evening. It's night. Where is your child? You know what I mean? It's just, it's a lot of latchkey kind of like, Hey, yeah, remember that time that we got in that that epic snowball fight? You know what I mean? Like that kind of kid. Like if you grew up like that, you know, it's just very much like, you know, there you were in places where you weren't supposed to be doing things that you weren't supposed to do miles away from your house. Yeah. It's uh, very different from the parenting that you would see now. So, yeah. And it's it's exactly right. Because we're like, who's letting who these terrible parents, one's a workaholic, one is just letting her kid run around with essentially a homeless delusional person right and she's like christmas spirit yay and you know i think if you or i turn that script in tomorrow they would be like no no yeah, way no, no way no. yeah 
And I would I would argue the the Zoe Deschanel and Will Ferrell dynamic again because of the casting had the potential to be super cringy. duper cringy and creepy. Because I mean, think of like the most the biggest scene when you think of them is obviously he meets her and she's decorating the tree and he's like, oh, I see someone else enjoys elf culture. But the one we think of is when they accidentally sing a duet together. Uh, where, shower, she's, yeah. where she's in the shower at the at the department store because the the water is out or the hot water is out at her apartment and he wanders in because she's singing and completes the duet with her which should be the creepiest thing a man could ever do 100 in another yeah. like that that's this is another place where if not for will ferrell this doesn't work because yes. that that scene where like like don't write scenes like this kids don't do it because like <laughs> or if you do like, yeah right outside yeah. the shower like singing with her and just like it's and they're singing they're singing the that song that yeah. song you know the which song. is the, the i really can't stay baby it's cold outside which everyone agrees nowadays kind of you know it sounds yeah. weird to me because I, I like i wasn't until like i really heard them singing it or i started to hear some of these lyrics because i've always thought you know, maybe the song isn't as bad as people think, but then he goes, what's in this drink? And you're like, oh my God, no. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> yes, which is why Love Hard updates it uh, yeah. so adorably, because I think what's we've outgrown that. Drink? What's, what's in this drink? And you're like, so Then he goes, what's the sense of hurting my... What? No, 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 no. Go back to what's in this drink. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, you know, exactly. Um, And I think I was watching that scene to prep for this. And that scene, I was like, this scene, we would be terrified to watch in modern day. And the one thing I think that also saves it is not only is it Will Ferrell, who's innocently coming in because we know he just loves singing and he likes her, but he's not trying to see her naughty bits. We just know he's lured by the siren song and he can't help but sing, right? Right, 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 right. Um, So that was all planted ahead of time. But then she sees him screams and he screams. Right. He's equally scared. And then she yells, cover your eyes. And he does. He immediately does. And then she says, get out of here. And he tries to run out of the room, but he can't because his eyes are covered, hits the wall of lockers. Runs and right into a, a wall of lockers. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's a pratfall and it's perfect. It's perfect we need comedy it. for that moment. Yeah. Yes. You need yeah. that absolute comedy at that point. So, yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know. It's one of those moments where comedians always argue, like, how far can you take a joke? Like, can you laugh about, can can you make a joke about rape that's funny? You know what I mean? That This is falls into that category of, like, can you make this, like, cringy scene work in a way that's funny and, and works in a Christmas movie, in a Christmas movie, in a Christmas right. for, movie? For all ages. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And then I think the other thing is like her reaction to it. Like, number one, we saw him like fall over and we cut out of the scene. But we know like this guy was not like trying to perv on her. He is extremely innocent. And then she well, talks to him later and is just like, what was that about? Right. Um, and they, they make a really great editing thing. And I, I wonder, we haven't talked about uh, David. I think his name is the writer's name is Berenbaum. Yeah. And we haven't talked about his script, but rightly right here, there's something that happens here in the next scene, which is something that I'm going to talk about later that's not duplicated for this other uh, character in the scene. Now, we have this thing where we immediately want, we want to repaint Buddy as 
this sort of childlike figure. So the next time we see Buddy, he's sleeping in a in a shop window. Yeah. Cuddling, cuddling Cuddle- a display. Yeah. Right. And it, like cuddling a Christmas display, he's just literally framed in there. And who should walk by but James Kahn? And he's like, Dad. And then he you literally see like James Kahn is like, oh my God, he's still oh my God. He's and, here. Like, he's real. Away. It happened. Yeah. Right. And like he's like bang Will Farrell's banging on the window, like, Dad, I'm right here. I'm and you, your heart goes out to him because you know that's his this is actual dad. You know what I mean? And it's like immediately you put Will Ferrell back in that space. I I hope that's we're constantly being reminded that he's a child, right? Which again made that like made the 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 whole shower thing like oh it's embarrassing, but it wasn't gross, right? And then she comes uh, the 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 scene that where she talks to him later is very important because she goes hey so you know like like are you a creep? What are you doing in the ladies' locker? Yeah, right. And it turns into, they actually use it. And that's a, such a clever way because they use it in terms of, of her bringing up her singing. And, you know, that's a, the second time that they brought up the singing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They're using these moments to make uh, like that. It seems like it's unscripted, but it, it's the scripting is right there. Those moments are like first time he, he brings it up, uh, you know, at, when they meet each other. And then this is the second time they brought up her singing. And then, of course, when she it all culminates in the third time, where you know she ends up singing for uh the craft. spirit in the in the climax yeah right. exactly so this is in this like you're doing it in threes you know what i mean that's this is and, and i think i think it also helps i was thinking about the shower scene a lot as you can tell and i was like how did we make it safe right, right. And i think one of the things they also did and i didn't put this in our outline i'm freestyling i'm being rob higgins for a moment oh is my. they have this bit where Will Will Ferrell is going around the mall after the mall. I I think he's 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 going. He got sent to Gimbal's after he got kicked out of his dad's, and he's just looking at things around the mall. And they have Santa negligee, and it's oh, just yeah. like for that special someone. <laughs> and he's looking at it before he gets called back to the toy department. Right. And later on, we see him send a present to James Khan, and it's the negligee because yes. that's his special someone. And you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so he doesn't get that it's supposed to be sexual. And I think that really helps that like childlike innocence 100%. that happens before, even though he likes Zoe Deschanel, we buy like, no, that guy wouldn't have perved on her in the shower. Right, exactly. And that's a great, so there's so many setups for great jokes yeah. in, in this thing. Like I said, even though it feels very unscripted when Will Ferrell gets to New York, it, it like it just, everything starts to pay off yeah. with the exception. With the exception I, of James Kahn's character, there's Ooh. a there's a switch over that has to happen where James Kahn decides that he's going to be out for Buddy, but we get the um, you know the first time he shows up again we're doing this thing in threes. The first time he shows up, it's he thinks it's a Christmas gram. The second time he comes to work with Walter and then Walter sends him to the mailroom. And then the third time he bursts in the door after having that date with Zoe Deschanel and he's like, I'm in love and da 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 da. And he gets kicked out after he gets his ass handed to him by Peter Dinklage. But there's again, we're in threes. But when Walter decides that he's going to go and make that decision to go and help Buddy, we he haven't we haven't done that work. There isn't that mm. work that's being done with Walter. This feels like that's what's missing from the second act. Besides the meandering where I feel like we could 
have less whoop there it is and dancing in 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 the mailroom stuff most of the mailroom stuff i feel could just go i'm i'm really not even it's not really doing much for me in terms of the stuff but we're missing that moment where we have that first thing where walter goes back and he looks back at his pictures mm-hmm. and he finds that picture of buddy's mother yeah and he's like i'm reminded of this and then he has buddy you know tested and stuff like that but there's no like turning point where he look where he he gets to decide that this person is his son before he just decides to go out with michael and go look for buddy in the, on the streets of new york and i needed that because it feels like his arc remains kind of unfinished like we should feel like he's team buddy at that point at least for nothing else like when he gets to him he says i know that you might be and then he struggles and then he says chemically unbalanced you know what i mean but where's that work i don't know where it was yeah i don't know if that got left in the editing room floor it does feel like there may have been a scene there i think i think what we're we are kind of missing is when he james khan after things go very badly but Peter Dinklage, he basically, I mean, he's getting fired, essentially, right. at this point. And so usually at that point, when a person hits their low, and I think I think we put a lot of that on James Kahn's character, because he's the character who arcs, not Buddy. Mm-hmm. We want to see that work done. And and I think there's the, the fun thing about Elf is there's very rarely, there's a format and screenwriting format where instead of the main character arcing, everyone else arcs around them because they right. kind of decide their view of the world is better. Mm-hmm. Um, He's a flat the, arc character, yeah. Yeah, most classically, I always think of like Ferris Bueller's Day Off where Cameron arcs at the end and goes, mm-hmm. it's better to be more carefree and let go like my friend Ferris than to be always worried all the time, Right, you know? and consequences be damned and it's you know so we kind of want to see that moment with can con where he realizes buddy's way of doing things is better right or at least having more fun in your life will will lead to you having will lead to your life being better because he's miserable you can see him he's he's a workaholic yeah he doesn't he doesn't spend time with his family he's on the naughty list he's on the naughty list he's He's trying to save money, even though there's misprints, and he's trying to create the oh my God. I didn't notice that until I saw that this time around, where they just ship a children's book missing the last two pages. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, well, they I, don't think, wanna... I think we do you think I should take a like a thirty thousand dollar bath on that? No, get out of here. Just ship it. Like yeah, yeah that puts him on the naughty list for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Terrible. And I think I think it would have helped if we he had a moment where he looked at himself and said, why am I this guy? Like, why do like, why am I working so hard to be this guy? Yeah, exactly. Because um, then when because the, the board meeting happens and he's still trying to do it on Christmas Eve, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's kicked Buddy out of his life and then he finds out that Buddy is gone. But before that, he's still like planning to have this meeting. He's kept his staff like the both the writers played by Kyle Gass and Andy yes. Richter controls the universe. That's right. Okay. So yeah, he's got Andy Richter and Kyle Gass like working on Christmas Eve. And I not ironically, but also his secretary. Favreau yes. seems to make a real big deal about about putting the secretary in as many scenes as humanly possible. He just yeah. put like every time that you know there's a thing, like she gets a cameo, she gets a thing. She's like very much 
like you know getting a bunch of of work yeah and that that mail room is working hard ish you know until Mm -hmm. will ferrell gets on there everybody's working on christmas eve and so there is a like yeah there's a scrooge element to it yeah makes me think of scrooge with uh, bill murray where everybody's working on christmas at the big building in new york right and And they're all working towards the 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 publishing thing so they can stay afloat and but then michael comes in and says but he's gone and then he decides you know he has that really great line don't don't count, tell my kid what to do. But I'm like, we haven't done this work. Yeah. We're, this, it, it it bothered me. And it was just like, um, we haven't gotten that. Something is missing here. And I think they were hoping that, that we were going to get it because he's not totally there. Because we have to wait there. I, hope, I was wondering if they're waiting for him to start singing Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Like that's the completion of his arc. Like he's still Walter to even finding out that Santa exists and all this other kinds of stuff. But then when he gets there and they're trying to sing in order to give Santa Christmas cheer and he's just mouthing the words. And I think they're holding it for that moment. But I still think beyond his himself, we need that. There's two pieces of things that we're, we're going for him rediscovering his sort of Christmas spirit and his him deciding that Buddy is worthy of his love. And we only get one and not the other. Yeah, and I think it's so important too because what Will Ferrell's character wants more than anything is to meet his dad. And he says, and I love you, I love you, I love you. He wants his dad. Yes, yes. So sometimes he says, I want my dad to love me back. Right, 100%. Um, and so, yeah, you do want to see that more than just like a little bit of support. And especially because he's so childlike, you don't want to feel like a kid is being denied their father's love. Yeah. Again, especially like said, for a Christmas movie. Yeah. He really is. Because they, and they set that childlike thing, like of this childlike love of someone like that scene where he's like, he wants his dad to tuck him in and he says, I love you. And there's, you just, it's like kicking a puppy. You know what I mean? They set up these kick like puppy kicking moments. Yeah through the whole thing and he's just he never gives it to him and then like i said i we just i wanted that that work done i don't know how they could have done it or maybe the, like i said maybe it ended up on the cutting room floor but it just feels unfinished yeah in terms of that and for you screenwriters out there that's the type of thing that you need to watch and to like you know they have certain things that i've seen certain people talk about doing a character pass your favorite screenwriter who wrote uh, little miss sunshine michael Arndt. yes is is famous for that he loves to go through and do character passes he does he does 20 drafts and some drafts are just like oh i'm gonna just focus on this character i'm gonna right. focus on this character yeah and that kind of work is what you're because you want people to feel at the end like they like you haven't left hats on the ground as we like to say on this podcast as and you say. yeah, yeah. And your hat. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the I believe they kept in the the mailroom stuff because he talks about the mailroom in the book that Buddy eventually writes. Mm-hmm. You know, he works in a shiny mailroom, that sort of thing. But at the same time, like some of the stuff, especially the whoop, there it is. Like, whoa, even in 2003, that was a dated reference. You know what I mean? It was just it's just too many yeah. times. Somebody come and go back to that well. And I'm just like this. And especially in 2023, just just while the rest of the movie sort of feels timeless, that whoop, there it is, just feels so 90s cringe. (laughs) And Uh, it comes out of there and it just, it's like a foghorn. You're like, what is this? Ah. 
Yeah. So, you know what I mean? So watch it with your references in there, kids, when you're doing these things. But I feel yeah. like, you know, I think, I think, I think what helps some of that softness at the end of act two mm-hmm. is act three is really strong. Oh my it God. It doesn't, I think, I think um, oftentimes what happens is people wander through act two and then they get a little lost and then they're like, ah, and then just try to like do something for act three, you know, whatever they can do to finish. But I would argue act three is so solid that you kind of forget about like the James Cann arc missing and things like that, because suddenly you have what I say is like the epitome beats that are required for any like serious Christmas movie, which is. Santa's in trouble. There's crisis at, at Christmas, you know, right. something like that. It's Christmas Eve and Santa's sleigh is crashed. And, you know, Buddy, our, you know, our Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer type is the only person who can help Santa in Central Park. It almost feels like it becomes a different movie. Like if you had told me at the beginning of the movie that we were going to have this like epic sort of chase and, you know, sort of all of these sort of action beats. Where it's like now we're we're got we've got stakes we've got you know what I mean like the whole thing becomes like almost it's got like these you know very much this uh, Santa Clausian the movie kind of you know action beats with Ed Asner playing a much better Santa Claus let's be honest and just going for it but if you told me that was gonna be a thing at the beginning of the movie I'd have been like really because but it's there and it takes off like a rocket I don't fault the movie for this. But it just goes. It takes off with yeah. a literal rocket, it's Santa's rocket. But it just it, it it the pace just immediately like moves forward, like set up some payoffs that you can yeah. see it. Like they get the rocket strapped onto the thing, but then they're coming up towards the statue, and the statue knocks it right back off. You know what I mean? Like the the reversal, the you know that five point structure, like like fight sequence or something like that. The since save the cat, the 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 epic sort of battle thing that they use to structure all these well, the climax but then you need a high tower surprise which right, is all right, that right. work and the rocket falls back off exactly this kind of stuff that you see in these like marvel movies you know what i mean that kind of structure is just like all there now in its third act that and, almost and, seems to come out of nowhere and it's also like deeply satirical tonally at this point as well especially because you're listening to these silly news reports and and the big thing the like the thing that is like a countdown is the police on horseback are coming oh, yeah. through central, central park. park rangers <laughs> the central park and they make a point of saying like the horse rangers the they've still been in investigations since they call an oats concert in the 70s for being too like for brutality yeah. and so you know these like these horribly brutal new york police officers on horseback are coming for santa Right. But the thing is, is that Favreau wisely sort of grounds the movie in these reactions from children. So you know what movie that you're watching. It's like, yes, we're going to do all this crazy shit, but this is a kid's movie. This is for everybody. You know what I mean? It's just like it grounds. There's little like they literally have to go in these little kid cameos where they're just like the one girl, you know, like when Michael starts reading off the list and he reads out that she wanted a, a Susie something doll or something like that and she goes thanks buddy you know what i mean it was like that's the movie that we're in and, and she had asked for it and the, the dental scene when he was not the dentist the doctor scene when he was eating cotton balls yeah right yeah just insane it's but so just, good but yeah so it, it the third act is i think literally without flaw and it just goes and it just starts paying things off one by one by one zoe like, deschanel sings in front of everybody right to start she the sings, christmas spirit 
Right. The, the buddy's family jumps in. James Khan is in. Everybody's supporting. Mm-hmm. And then Buddy was trained by his elf dad, you know, to work on the sleigh. So he ends up becoming the one ally who can fix the rocket for Santa. Right. And the, so the person everything's been set up. Yeah. Right. The person who feels like he doesn't belong anywhere. He is right where he's supposed to be at the right time. Yes. And he's the only person who could fix this sleigh, Santa sleigh, like right there at the in the moment. Not only that, but also provide sort of cover for Santa and 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 eventually the fuel that eventually gets Santa sleigh up and going. So you know what I mean? Like Buddy is the person is the catalyst for all of that, and him being him literally it sort of solidifies that there's nothing wrong with buddy in the way that buddy looks at the world it's us that needs to change around him exactly so it yeah the third act is 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 really just like it doesn't have any fat on it whatsoever it just takes off and moves sets up pays off and it's 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 great and there's one thing at the end of the movie that drives you crazy yeah okay yeah all right the baby okay (laughs) yes the baby because this whole movie we've dealt with like the the scene where will ferrell gets his first kiss it feels like like when you were in middle school if you got the if you got that first like kiss in middle school where you finally like kiss someone of the opposite or same sex whatever 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 it is that floats your boat right yeah when you got that first like you know sort of thing where some like you held hands with somebody that you liked you know what I mean? That's what that scene in the in Central Park where they're ice skating and then he kisses her on the cheek and she says, you missed. And she kisses him on the lips, which is the, exactly, again, how that scene should go. It's great. And she's very charmed by him. But then at the end, you've got this baby. And now yes. I'm forced to reconcile that Wolf Air has a penis. And it bothers me. <laughs> In ways that I wasn't actually like, you know, I wasn't expecting this time. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, there's a baby. Like, you know, but this time I was like, oh, man, he's, oh, man, they, oh, God. They, I think, I think that oh, is on, hard because you've been convincing us that he's a child. He's a child. Time. And then by the end of it, he suddenly is an adult man procreating. And we're like, uh, yeah, just, I, I think it's oh, too soon. Yeah. Too soon. No. No, too much. Not Will Ferrell with a penis in this movie. I don't want to think about it. Well, what if what if the baby appeared in like Santa's sleigh or like in a gumdrop valley or some magical Something, elf way? Man, yeah, just you just you just you're not ready. You're not ready for him. Or to just like... Bob Newhart, you know, asking Will Ferrell for some grandbabies. I'm like, because you know, it's like like the thing about Buddy is that we know we Buddy still has to grow up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even though he's in his early forties. He still has to grow up and sort of become like a a more, you know, a more responsible adult. Right. Or just, you know, like a better ambassador between these two worlds, you know what I mean? To sort of understand, you know, now that taking what he's learned and and, and navigating those two worlds and you sort of feel like he's going to he's getting there because he now has this book, you know what I mean? And he's doing that thing. But at the same time, I'm not ready. I'm not (laughs) I'm not ready. He's still growing up. He's still a growing boy. And yeah. then the, the baby's just too much. I'm, I can't. But Ed yeah. Asner is the best Santa of all time. So, you know, I agree on that. Yeah. He's the best. He's, no question asked. Okay. I love him. He's just like, don't listen to him. He doesn't have any feet. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that line, the paparazzi have been trying to snap pictures of me for years. You know, like Santa's just like over it. I love Ed Asner as Santa. He's he's so he's so warm, but at the same time, he has this weariness that you feel like. Like, you know, he's, he's like been that, doing this a long, long time. Right. He's like yeah. that grandpa that's real super hip. You know what I mean? Like, I just love him. He's just great. Yeah. yeah. So, I, agree. I agree. Anyway, that's so that's Elf. That's Elf. And I'm sorry, you guys. Now we'll have to think about Will Ferrell's <laughs> having a penis, which is not what we were hoping for when we started. No, this but podcast. it's there. And I, the, I didn't put it out there. They did. You know what? <laughs> like, I'm not responsible for that. Okay. So what are you watching and consuming this week? Well, speaking of cuteness, I I started watching. I, I was I've been wanting to do it for a long time because my friend John Soares worked on it and I wanted to watch my adventures with Superman. And so I, I took a I gave it an episode or two because I do love Warner Brothers animation. I think their animation stuff is the best thing that they've got going for them. Yeah. We're both big fans of Harley Quinn. And I yeah. so I watched my I my adventures with Superman of the first one. And I was just like, all right, that was cute. All right, I'll give it. And then I was like, wait a minute, they're they're something. They're doing they're doing something. Mm-hmm. And then I just kept I couldn't stop. I wanted to see where they were going because it's a kind of a twist on the Superman mythos. And it just it does what I feel like most good Superman movies should do. What because the thing about Superman, they did it on Smallville, but they don't necessarily do it so much in the Christopher Reeves movie. Nothing against Christopher Reeves. I know it's those movies are classics. Well, the first two are classics, but like this thing goes into Superman is not nigh omnipotent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he feels vulnerable both emotionally and physically which and, is which is something that it's very hard to write for superman right right especially because he has an alternate identity so superman himself has doesn't have very many vulnerabilities right and they also don't drag on the whole clark kent superman thing for so long it's mm-hmm. it really is kind of it's kind of almost revolutionary. Like when the, when the new Superman movie comes out, I hope it's done sort of not necessarily in terms of the villains, although that was also interesting the way they introduced the classic Superman villains, but you know, the way that this thing moves, just the vulnerabilities of the characters, but also not making Lois Lane completely stupid. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. So she's supposed to be the greatest reporter on the planet she doesn't she can't investigate right she can't figure out who superman is he's working next door every day so you know what i mean it's just they i there are certain things that they dropped there are certain things that they added on there but it's a worthy adaptation and i started with one episode and then i ended up binging the thing in like like a day basically it's just there's 10 episodes it's really great and so i i really enjoyed it so i'll be a fan i'm hoping that there's a season two and then I also finished the first not first page uh, first chapter of my of my do- novel my 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 side project Dasher. I'm really really excited about where it's going. I'm in the chapter two, and I, I it's it's very interesting. It, it I, I've never had a writing experience like this. Mostly in what because way? well, in I'm writing it in my phone, so I'm trying to keep it cash. 
And okay. so that's one sort of thing. But the other thing about it is I'm writing it in this way that it's it's a novel, but there's also I'm using a lot of of my screenwriting sort of tricks with it. And so it feels unique to me, but I'm also sort of wondering where, like not trying to cross the line and be too much of one or too much of the other. And I just, I'm wondering if, you know, I've been doing a lot of stuff that I didn't do in my first novel. I didn't find myself like moving around a lot of paragraphs, but I find myself like going through and being like, no, this would be much better here. I've been doing, moving mm. around a lot of real estate. And interesting. Yeah. And it's been really kind of interesting just to sort of build the structure of something that I've never seen before in terms of like a novel. And I'm hoping that people enjoy it, but I want folks to feel, to have that feeling of like what I talked about with Michael Clayton, where you're, you're watching this book happen or more mm -hmm. like, like you're watching a Netflix series. You know what I mean? Like every, you know, every sort of chapter ending on like a cliffhanger, like into the next thing. And then like finding these places where I can, you know, make the characters come alive. And it, it you know, it's a mystery, but also I don't want it to be like, like, I don't want it to come off like no offense to, you know, uh, Lee child or who's the guy that does the Bosch series. Uh, oh. Michael Connolly, Michael yeah. Connolly, like, you know, those are the type of things that I, that are sort of the modern equivalent of, you know, the Raymond Chandler kind of stuff, but I don't want it to feel like that. I, 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 I want to do something different because I, I just, you know, I want it to be like a whodunit kind of thing. And, but I don't want it to ju just be like one of those, like hard boilish detectives where, you know, they, they're all in this different thing. I want it to be, feel relatable. And uh, much like, you know, sort of the way you feel about like a true crime podcast, you know what I mean? Like when you get into it and you just sort of, I don't know, but I'm, I'm having a lot of fun writing it. I'm in chapter two, so we'll see if this continues to go. I'm, I'm like I said, I'm keeping it cash and just letting it flow. But then unfortunately <laughs> for me, I came up sort of in the, because of the Chicago movie crashed and burned, I was like, how can I do like a movie, you know, with just like two people, but like put it in like a, maybe give it a genre spin. So it's not just two people in a house or two people in a box, wherever like that. What is my box for the movie? And so I was like, how do I make this into something that would be interesting? And I was like, oh, what about two people on a stakeout? Yeah. And I was like, ooh. And then immediately it spawned like this, <laughs> this movie. And I was just like, I, I just, I started talking about it. And then I pitched it to my wife and her exact text to me was, you're going to be the death of me. And. <laughs> oh, who says romance is dead? That's a, uh, that's so, I mean, that's how you guys work, isn't it? You're like, I have a movie idea. And she goes, no, Rob. Yes. Well, I mean, this one, I think she liked it because, you know, I wanted to do something that had like the twisty and turny sort of thing of, 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 you know, like a noir, but I want to do. I wanted to do a noir in a box where you have these stakes and yeah. that feel like consequential, but at the same time, you're in a car that's not moving. That's fair. Okay. Yeah. So, so as long as it's interesting, if you're yeah. waiting for Godot type of thrillers 
Anticipation stakeout. Okay. What about I mean, you, I think you can see in the outline what I've been doing. Do you uh, want to I, read what I wrote in the outline? <laughs> the Lee Pace shirtless fighting video. I missed this apparently. What what is the Lee Pace shirtless fighting <laughs> That's video? That's all I've been watching. Hold on, hold on. Oh shit. I just I'll send it to you right now. You can watch it. He's just training for foundation and the entire all of Twitter and myself just forgot what we were doing for a second. What? What is this? This is just Lee Pace practicing fighting, being shirtless, and the entire Twitter internet has lost their minds today. And I don't blame them. We needed this this week. Did we? We did. Lee Pace is a queer bicon. He kicks ass. We know he makes pies. And look at look at look at that guy. Like he's he's like he's 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 trying for the people. He's doing this for us. Sure. That's what you've been And he's what he's wearing an earring too while this happens, a little gold hoop. I've I've watched this several times. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that's uh, so yeah, besides that's what I've been doing this week. Your thirst trap video. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember it because I saw that video and everything else blanked. Oh Lord. Oh Lord. Well, let's okay. Folks, we've got some stuff for you this week. <laughs> First of Elf is on both Hulu and HBO Max streaming. And you know, so you guys can watch it if you have either of those things, just watch it for free. And you should. Give it a look. Also, like we said, it's in theaters. So yeah, that's it may fun. be at a theater near you. So check it out. See if you can track it down and see if you agree with us on James Conn's arc. The other thing that we've got for you is there is a Coverfly has a pitch week. Yes. It's thing. free to opt in. So that's cool. And also the screen, I, I want to mention this also on Coverfly. The Screenwriting Lab has their free contest. I think the last entry is either end of December, mid-January. It's free to enter. So, Oh, the free um, screenwriting? The, yeah, yeah, the Screenwriting Lab. So it's always good to... The Pitch Week opting in is free through Coverfly, and so is the Screenwriting Lab. And Rob and I love free things. So you should totally get in on that. Right. We've recommended the Screenwriting Lab before, but this is both of the, these things yeah. are coming to an end. So the deadline for the pitch week is Monday the 18th. So it's coming up very soon. And the free screenwriting lab is, I believe it's the end of this month. Yes. So both of those things, like we said, are free. We love free. You guys love free. So get on that stuff. The links to all of which will be in the show notes. Yes. Yes. And that is our show. Screenwriting from the Trenches can currently be found on Amazon, Anchor, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and Spotify Podcasts, as well as KevinLMartin.com. And our screenwriting Twitter drama theme song was written by Zach Morrison and used with his permission. And hey, we'd appreciate it if you liked us, rated us five stars on whatever platform that you patronize, because why, K-Tuxford? Algorithms. I forgot to mention that our our Spotify wrapped last week told us that the average review that we got for this podcast was a four out of five. Or I said that. Yeah, it was, it was a four out of five. So you guys, thanks for that. That's pretty great. We're, we'll work uh, much harder this year or next year on, on getting that that extra star. So hopefully, you know, we can get the average of five. But, you know. 
We'll start. But hey, I, I like having room to grow and improve. Right. But for questions for us that we can and will answer in the show, please email us at robertbmofo.net. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at BespectacledMofo. I am at K underscore Tux. Zach is at Zach Morrison 18 And these things as well as my YouTube channel series, where the Cinema Challenge series, we there's going to be some major movement as we move this week to what's hopefully the last day on our $1,000 movie, Sex Like Pizza. So hopefully I can get back to that. You know, all of that will be linked in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that you will continue to do so. Now, stop procrastinating. Those pages aren't going to write themselves.